When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, Matt, since the last time that we've spoken, the 49ers have added 20 rookies, 9 draftees, 11 undrafted free agents, and they may not be done adding yet. As of right now, 49ers have 88 players under contract. That means two more spots in the 90-man roster, and they can add beyond that if they cut somebody. So uh, we do expect more movement this offseason. In fact, this week marks the first week of the offseason in which the 49ers or any NFL team can add a veteran free agent without that counting against the compensatory pick formula. So... Uh, there's still some good edge rushers out on the board. But why don't we start by talking about who the 49ers picked up in the draft and then right after the draft in undrafted free agency. They obviously didn't have any really valuable picks, but they had a lot of picks and they have added a lot of players. And it seems that speed was an emphasis on a lot of these picks. There are really good athleticism scores, not across the entire board of this draft class, but across many of the picks. And, you know, I called it a thinking man's draft, Matt, because – the 49ers had to definitely consider who was going to have a good chance of making an already stacked roster. So obviously you want to go best player available, but they had to go best player available with an asterisk. They had to really think about where they could most efficiently allocate their picks so that they wouldn't be a waste because this roster is very, very loaded at this point. Yeah, and you can see that with uh, several of the picks, like starting with the first one, Jair Brown, a uh, great safety, but he, he might not be a starter in year one. Um, Sean Gibson, I think, is kind of firmly in one of those spots. Uh, Talano Hufanga definitely is firmly in the other spot. So it may be a situation where Brown is a backup. He's a, a special teamer. And then Gibson signed for one season, moves on next year, and it's Brown's job then. Um, and you could say the same with, uh, you know, Robert Beal, for example. I mean, I think he's a really nice complimentary piece, but maybe not in 2023. Uh, you've got Austin Bryant, you've got Cleveland Farrell, you've got Drake Jackson, of course, but, uh, Bryant and Farrell are only signed for this upcoming season. Uh, Beal seems earmarked for next year and, and maybe the same with the, uh, the linebacker duo. Um, Ronnie Bell, the receiver, etc. So there was definitely an, an eye uh, towards the future, towards 2024. The guy that we're already talking about the most, and we're probably going to talk about the most during the season, is the kicker, Jake Moody, uh, who's going to you know likely be the uh, the team's kicker. The, certainly the team's kickoff guy. That's uh, it was a big lure for him. Uh, a big allure for the 49ers to bring him here. So uh, get ready for even more Jake Moody talk. Get ready for a lot of people kind of following what he's doing and 
pregame, uh, Tim Kalakami likes to watch the kicker and chart where he's kicking from and where he's making and, and missing and stuff like that. So that's going to be a big deal, at least uh, at the beginning of the season. Who, who the kicker is trying to fight, right? Well, wasn't wasn't there some drama with Robbie? Yeah, Gold? it was it was, yeah. it was Brett Maher right before the uh, the Cowboys playoff game. They got into a, a tiff with Devo and uh, Brandon Ayuk, and Trent Williams had to come over and settle things down. Yeah, it it, it got a little uh, little drama. Real real, uh, real kickers of uh, of the, of the Bay Area. Of yeah. The, but yeah, I'm getting my kicker drama uh, mixed up. I remember Robbie Gold and Jalen Ramsey had a thing. Right, where, where Ramsey was doing some post-play stuff that the 49ers didn't like and Robbie Gold was getting in his face. And then there was the Maher thing. That was crazy because there was a lot of history from the week prior with Maher, right? Missing yeah. all those extra points. And then he missed one against the 49ers. The first one, I think. Right? I think he did, yeah. I think I mean, they only scored was, uh, once. But. It was a tale of two kickers that game. Uh, Robbie Gold was on fire, um, as he always is in the playoffs, and, and Mara was <laughs> less than that. Well, yeah, so so the 49ers have decided to move on from a kicker. Robbie Gold also, I think, was part of that decision. Robbie Gold probably wanted, wanted too much money outside the 49ers' price range, wasn't going to take a discount. But they've moved on from a kicker who, who hasn't missed in the playoffs, period. Like, I mean, he, this guy just drills kick after kick after kick in the postseason. What is it like twenty nine to twenty nine or something like that? That's that's a lot of kicks to make under pressure. So immediately there are huge expectations for Jake Moody. Um, to that end, though, people are talking about Jake Moody as maybe the best kicking prospect in a couple decades. And he, from under forty nine yards over the past two seasons, this includes extra points. He missed only once. Didn't miss any extra points in Michigan, but had had a. I think a 98% clip from under 49 yards over the past two seasons with Michigan. And I think if you're grading the importance of duties for an NFL kicker, uh, making the 30 to 49 yard field goals automatic is number one on the list. And then obviously you want to have somebody that has expandability to 50 plus range. Well, he booted a 59 yarder at Michigan. And then you want somebody who can handle kickoffs probably better than Robbie Gold last year. Their, their touchback rate was only, it was ranked number 28 in the league. It was only, I think, 45%. Well, well, the big leg on Jake Moody should be able to help the 49ers in that regard, too. So on paper, he checks the boxes. Now it's just a question of can he port it to the NFL level? Yeah. Um, I, I've been talking to people about Moody, and, you know, the, the upshot is that he's. A very special kicker. I mean, he's got that that it um, leg strength, and you know, I can get into the the technical aspect of it. I think he's really good on the on the kickoffs. Not not just as far as how deep he can get it into the end zone, but he can place it very well. And the special teams coaches love that about him. They love to be able to kind of control the kickoff. Uh, and you're right, that's been a problem. That was a problem in 21 because Wisniewski not only struggled with the kickoffs it it really affected his punting towards the end and he was he was struggling to get through that season uh Robbie Gold handled it last year and and uh, Wisniewski was so much better in, in punting uh but Gold was starting to have issues towards the end as well so that's that's part and parcel to why the 49ers thought that they should move on and get a younger guy but the bottom line with Moody is that he's unflappable um, he kicked a lot of high pressure kicks and not just high pressure kicks, you know, at Michigan State and 
that 59-yarder against TCU that you referenced, but in in weather too. And you know that, that there's a big difference between kickers who kick in in Michigan and kickers who kick in Florida. I mean, you're you're dealing with ice and wind and snow and things that are gonna come up in the NFL that the Roberto Aguayos had trouble with. Um, and uh, Moody is not expected to have that. I mean, like I said, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on this guy. Um, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a lot of pressure on a rookie. But the thought among everybody I've talked to is that if anybody can handle it, it's this guy because he's got that unflappable nature about him. And um, he, he's got to have it because <laughs> if, if not, he's going to get pilloried. Aguayo lasted exactly one season in the NFL, uh, drew a lot of headlines and uh, drew a lot of frustration from the head coach and then was gone. Uh, so uh, if there are misses this year, uh, you got to expect that it's going to be even more so because this is a team that uh, expects to go deep into the playoffs. Well, and the way that Brian Schneider, the 49ers special teams coordinator, tested Moody in in the workout leading up to the draft, I think reflected the pressure that the 49ers know that is going to come his way. I thought the best story, we I think we heard it from Adam Peters, was they they ran a fire drill. They basically, Moody was just standing around, and all of a sudden, Brian Schneider said, okay, run out there. You have 10 seconds. Line up. Let's kick the field goal. And so he had a sprint onto the field, and they even snapped it and and gave him laces the wrong way, laces facing the kick on purpose for this 50-yard field goal that he had no time to prepare for, and supposedly he he drilled it, and that, that stuck with the 49ers brass. They did everything to recreate or create for the first time uh, an NFL situation of stress because they feel that how Moody reacted to that would be a good indicator of how uh, he can react to it once it actually happens this next season. Then, uh, you know, that's all you can do when you're you're evaluating the kicker. You could look at his college performance, and then you could run him through a battery of tests to try to simulate what's going to happen at the NFL level. But until it actually happens at the NFL level, that's the max of, of what you can do. So they did their due diligence, as John Lynch likes to say, and they decided to use a late third-round pick. And obviously that was controversial on draft night. The business explanation, though, I think makes perfect sense. I, I think it makes analytical sense. You, you look at some of the wins above replacement for kickers, and the consensus is if a kicker is going to be Justin Tucker, uh, then it's okay to spend a first-round draft pick on him. Obviously, nobody expects anybody to be Justin Tucker. But a plus kicker, it is worth spending valuable draft capital on. The question is, is he going to be a plus kicker? And that's why you run him through the evaluations to develop your best idea of if he's going to be one. And in the case of the 49ers, Matt, they had three of these comp picks in the third round. We talked to Lynch and Shanahan. They don't even view them really as third-round picks and because they come so late in the third round, they're tacked on to the third round. They say they're like early fourth-round picks. So in in essence, kickers – you know, our good kickers go off the board in the fourth round. And this was validated again by the fact that the Patriots took one at number 112. That's only 13 picks after the 49ers took Moody at number 99. And the 49ers didn't have a fourth round pick. So the, the Patriots selection essentially proved and verified that Moody wouldn't have lasted until the fifth round when the 49ers picked next. So 
I, I honestly don't see them using a number 99, especially when they had two other picks in the third uh, as some kind of crazy, crazy reach. Uh, I mean, they had to do it if they wanted Moody. The only alternative would have been trading back a few spots into the fourth round. But uh, somebody could have jumped up to number 100, right, and, and grabbed Jake Moody, maybe even the Patriots, since they did need a kicker. Jake Moody had seven workouts before this draft, one, one of which was with Brian Schneider and the one that you were just referencing with the 49ers. Seven is a massive number for a kicker. Uh, in most years, a kicker might have two or three workouts. Seven showed just how popular this guy was, and that's exactly why the 49ers took him at 99. Uh, because they were worried about somebody coming in at um, number 100. But it just shows you how many teams were looking at kickers and why the 49ers felt like they had to make that move then. Um, and, and the Patriots were another team that worked them out. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they uh, they are the – I kept hearing the Lions, Jake Moody is from uh, very close to Detroit – uh, that they uh, wanted him as well. And so, you know, at least three teams were really circling him and, and seven uh, had interest in him. So uh, that sort of underscores everything. And then, you know, with the, the, the simulation that Adam Peters had him run, I mean, this guy, this guy had a lot of kicks in college. I mean, there was a lot for the 49ers to look at. He's been kicking forever, came in as a freshman and, um, was going against uh, one of the most highly recruited kickers in the history of college kicking. Uh, another guy that Michigan had landed before him, great leg, and and he beat this guy out uh, for the kickoff duty as a as a true freshman, uh, and then took over the next year as the as the field goal kicker too. So he's kicked a lot of in a lot of games, and he's been in a lot of high pressure situations. One of which. I think it came in 21. They're at Michigan State. And uh, I think the rest of the country thinks that Michigan-Ohio State is the biggest rivalry. Uh, but it's actually Michigan-Michigan State. Two schools hate each other, yada, yada, yada. It's at Michigan State, bad weather. End of the half, uh, the Wolverines are lining up for a field goal. And uh, Moody kicks it right down the upright. But Michigan State called a timeout to ice him right before it. Michigan State did that three times in a row, <laughs> all three timeouts, you know, chirping at him in between, you know, the, the television timeout, this, that, and the other. And he kicked four field goals. All four of them were straight down the up, uprights. That's why I talk about this guy's hard to rattle. Um, and that's uh, that's something that the 49ers would have looked at and, and would have appreciated and uh, would have told them that, okay, this is a guy we think can kick in Green Bay in mid-January in a snowstorm, with, you know, down by one point with one second left on the clock. Because those are the situations that Robbie Gold excelled in. And uh, Jake Moody is going to have to do the same thing. Here's my question of the bigger picture. They still have Zane Gonzalez on the roster. Do you think they might be able to to flip him maybe for a seventh-round pick if they hold on to him all the way close to the cut down and a team gets desperate and, and, and needs a kicker? Uh, you know, because he, he still has got one year under contract, Zane Gonzalez does. 49ers obviously like the contract, which is why they traded a conditional pick swap for him. So if he doesn't make the 53-man roster, they owe him nothing. They obviously uh, can just release him at, at any point, but it, I don't think it makes any sense to. I think that you could hold on to him for a, as long as possible here. 
Um, that would be that'd be a minor coup if the 49ers were able to get something for Zane Gonzalez just because they have this asset with a big leg. He, he suffered multiple injuries last year, which is, I think, why um, you know the, the Carolina Panthers uh, didn't want to stick with him. They, they, they went with another kicker. But um, it's just going to be an interesting kind of game theory situation here with Zane Gonzalez still on the team. We know that the 49ers love to, to play business with their picks. They maxed out the comp pick formula this year. They love to hold on to assets, see if they could you know make the most of them. And th- to me, this is just going to be a minor yet, yet curious case with Zane Gonzalez still on the roster. Well, I mean, his biggest issue has been health. So if he's healthy in late August, early September – uh, and he's kicking the ball well, which he normally does. He's got he's probably got a bigger leg than Moody does. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mentioned seven teams working out Jake Moody. I mean, that just kind of shows you the demand for a kicker right now. It's it's sad, you know. Nobody can remember this many teams looking for a kicker. So the demand is there. Gonzalez is well regarded. The caveat with him is he just gets injured a lot. So. Um, they just have to keep him healthy through training camp, uh, and then um, your your scenario, I think, is uh, is is quite reasonable. Yeah, I, it was a really smart trade that the 49ers made because they saw that Carolina was about to cut Zane Gonzalez, and they said, "Hey, you know, if, if you get him at a conditional price, a non guaranteed deal at a conditional price, again, that condition being that he makes your roster, it's a no loss situation." I can't believe that some other team didn't do it. But, I mean, it's these small details, I think, that a lot of people, even in front offices, don't necessarily think of because they dismiss that kicker position a little bit, right? They're like, ah, it's just a kicker. And that mentality has caused people on social media to give the 49ers some grief over this. Kyle Shanahan said his friends were giving him grief over it. But uh, you, you do what the right business decision is. Just because there's a stereotype against using draft picks on kickers doesn't mean that it's not not a smart move, right? And the Zane Gonzalez move was a smart move. It was a no downside move for the 49ers. And now there's only potentially upside with that if you look forward, if, if they could package him and deal him. And even if it is a seventh-round pick, well, guess who was a seventh-round pick? Brock Purdy, number 262. So you can't discount the value of seventh-round picks. Why don't we start with those when we talk about this 49ers draft class because they had a number of seventh-rounders this year. Uh, Moody's teammate, we could start with him, Ron, or Ronnie Bell, the receiver out of Michigan. Uh, silky smooth route runner, good hands, knows how to high point the football. I, I just think he needs a year or two in an NFL weight room. And at that point, uh, you know he's going to be a serious the threat in the NFL. I think he needs to get a little bit stronger, but the 49ers like this guy because he's quicker than he is fast, and he could also port that ability to the return game, and special teams were a big, big emphasis in this draft class just so players would have as much 53-man roster expandability as possible. Yeah, great great pickup in the seventh round. I mean, um, like you said, a really good route runner, son of a coach, um, you know, a guy who you can just kind of see taking advantage of his uh, his chance in the NFL. You know, 49ers aren't particularly deep at wide receiver. They have two really, really good wide receivers in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. And then, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of uh, other guys. Um, you know, Juwan Jennings is going to make this team for sure. Uh, Ray Ray McLeod. Um, Danny Gray is going to get a shot. He's really got to kind of take advantage of it. Tay Martin, um, they just signed Willie Sneed. 
But, uh, you know, like I said, not a lot of competition. So you could definitely see a scenario where there are a couple of injuries. Ronnie Bell might start the season off on the practice squad, but he could get called up. I mean, what, what happens if Ray Raymond Cloud gets hurt? All of a sudden, the 49ers have no return man. That alone would put Ronnie Brown into the game in kind of a pivotal situation. And we'll go back to what we were just saying about Jake Moody. Um, I don't think it's going to be too much for Ronnie Brown. I mean, those guys played a lot of high-pressure games the last four years. So uh, it's a great pickup. Um, I've heard very good things about Jalen Graham, the the Purdue outside linebacker. Um, the, the big knock on him, you know, you you, you we, we see J- the name Jalen Graham flash up on the screen, and for a lot of us, that's the first time we've seen it. Certainly was for me. And so you read his bio quick and you look at his 40 time, you're like, ah, wow, not, not, a, not a very fast time. But uh, I'm, I'm told that he's a guy who is a lot faster on tape. In fact, uh, I, I can't wait for Adam Peters to talk about that, whether the, uh, um, you know, the, the little chip that they have in their pads that shows the miles per hour is a lot different with uh, Jalen Graham because um, his – uh, his play on the field suggests a much faster, swifter player than than the 40-time did. So um, he's thrown into the mix at, at linebacker. Uh, they've got a lot of young guys at that position now. They're, they're looking for somebody to rise to the top and really kind of show themselves as the, uh, the heir to that uh, Aziz Alshire role that Aziz had the last four years. Aziz, of course, now in uh, Tennessee with Rand Carthon. So you have Ronnie Bell, you have uh, Jalen Graham, and then you have Braden Willis in the seventh round for the 49ers. Braden Willis was the second of two tight ends that they picked. Yak Monster, possibly, out of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, right now, the the blocking uh, portion of his game is more developed. He, he definitely is a mauler in the blocking game. You could see why the 49ers like that. But in, in the limited catches that he had, he averaged over seven yards after the catch per reception for uh Oklahoma. So that was the you know something I think that that jumped out at the 49ers is that you know this guy can run through some tackles. He certainly I think it, it's a more limited sample than the other tight end they drafted higher Cameron Law to in the 3rd round, but it seems that as far as some of that offensive play strength, Braden Willis actually might be more developed at this point. It's funny because Latu in the third round, to me, that was the worst value that the 49ers got out of a pick, at least on the surface, because everybody was saying this guy's going to be a fifth rounder. You look at the metrics, they're significantly worse from an athleticism standpoint, from a uh, tackle-breaking standpoint than, than other tight ends, especially the ones that went up in the third round. But the 49ers actually believe that Latu still has a lot more to give in his body. They think that he converted positions. It, it hasn't been that recent. It was in 2019, but he converted from edge rusher to tight end. And they said that his tape as tight end saw a surge at the end of the 2022 season. And they really believe that this guy's upside is still nowhere near reached. And if they're right, well, it's going to be a good third round pick. If they're wrong, it's going to look bad because Braden Willis right now might be more physically developed, at least for the specifics of that tight end position. And he's a seventh round pick versus Latu was a low third round pick. Yeah, I, I looked at a lot of tight ends. I did more research on tight ends, maybe tight ends and kicker, uh, this year than I ever have. And, um, you know, 
Braden Willis stood out to me. The, the guy I really liked was Brenton Strange from Penn State. He won the honor of being my uh, my draft crush, and I thought that uh, Braden Willis was sort of a, a poor man's Brenton Strange. He wasn't quite as fast, wasn't quite as fluid, but um, Oklahoma used him very similarly to the way that uh, Penn State used Strange, which is basically all over the field as an inline tight end, in the backfield, as an H-back, put him in motion, loves contact, really good yards after contact. Both of those guys just stood out in that regard. The, the thing with uh, Willis is that he's a little stiff. Um, you know, long legs, um, doesn't change directions very well. I think he's, he's you know, probably going to be in that Tyler Croft role a lot. Um, basically the, you know, uh, a sixth uh, offensive lineman with much more upside than Croft as far as catching the football and stuff like that. Um, I went back and Latou didn't, Latou didn't uh, jump out to me the first go around when I was looking at these tight ends. I thought that there was a drop off after Strange into that next group and that Latou was part of that. I went back and I, I did more research on him. And I, I see what the 49ers are saying. There's a really good uh, YouTube clip of the Alabama-Tennessee game, where it just shows the uh, the Alabama offensive snaps from, from first quarter to the end of the game. And um, Latu is, is prominent. He, he's really good at the blocker in that game. And um, you see a much more fluid version of Braden Willis. Um, I, I do agree that broken tackles to me, I don't know if we've gotten spoiled, but you expect to see a tight end breaking tackles. You expect to see a tight end dragging cornerbacks and safeties down the field. And you saw that with a lot of tight ends this year. Uh, Strange did it. Bell does it. We, we all see George Kittle do it on a weekly basis. Um, that was sort of the missing element when you watched the Latu tape, and it's something that he's got to add. And uh, I'm I'm absolutely sure that uh, George Kittle is going to kind of impart his wisdom and his philosophy uh, on the young tight end when he comes in, because uh, I do think that there is an athleticism there that um, that that Willis doesn't have, and that uh, the 49ers think that they can tap into. All right, so let's move on. No fourth-round picks. Now we go to the fifth round. This is a player you could tell the 49ers really, really like. Darrell Luter Jr., defensive back out of South Alabama. Actually went to Pearl River Community College before that, which is where Tarverius Moore went, but not at the same time. They don't know each other. Maybe they'll meet at some point. Tarverius Moore, former 49ers safety, now with the, the Green Bay Packers. But 49ers love Luter because uh, he's got uh, a, a he's got man strength. I mean, this guy, he's really, really strong. You watch the, the style with which he plays. Feisty, a lot of press coverage. Really gets up in people's faces. But they also think that he's a man as far as maturity goes. He's 23, but he's already married. Has a kid. Uh, Adam Peters was talking about this. He, they absolutely love the fact that this guy has his life in order and is ready to treat this like like a job. I think that's what Adam, Adam Peters said. Uh, I, I think they they think Dar Darrell Luter Jr. means business. They, they think that he's going to step up there, and I think he's going to push Ambry Thomas this year. Ambry Thomas's roster spot is not safe following that second year slump that I think you know was in large part injury fuel. 
fueled. But um, Ambry Thomas is going to have to step up his game moving forward because Darrell Luter Jr., I think is going to have inside out versatility, Matt. He's got long wingspan, right? Like Samuel Womack, the third, who, um, you know, was only 5'9 or 5'10, but Luter's nearly six feet tall. So a little bit more height to go with that wingspan, I think, means that, that he could be a guy that also plays on the outside because they look at Samuel Womack as an inside out guy as well. But uh, Luter is, is yet another cornerback to the 49ers have brought in that, that can play all over the formation. And, you know, that gives them all power that gives them an interchangeability in the defensive backfield you know they they put these guys up on a, a zoom call for us uh, almost immediately after they're drafted so uh, I don't know they last five seven minutes it's not a uh, a, a, a terrific window into the person but it, it, it is your first impression and um, to me looter had the best one I mean he just seems you you understand what Adam Peters was talking about when he was citing the guy's maturity and his presence, he just has a, a bit of command about him that, you know, other 22-year-olds don't have. Um, and, and I think the 49ers felt that. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I mean, what was the issue with, with Ambry Thomas early on? Well, you know, he needed to get stronger. He, he missed that season with his, his, uh, his medical issue. He was still kind of coming back from that. Um, I don't think that the 49ers are anticipating that with Luter. He should be ready to go, at least from a physical standpoint, right away. Um, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I still think the 49ers' real ideal situation is to find another outside cornerback and to move D'Amador Lenore inside. That's, that was their original plan with him. Um, and you understand why, because Lenore is very feisty and it's got a good uh, sort of mid, mid-sized uh, cornerback, this, that, and the other. Uh, another guy who's very hard to rattle as well. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe Luter is that guy. It's just another um, quality player that they're kind of throwing into that mix, hoping that by the end of the training camp, uh, it, it really sorts itself out. Next fifth round pick, Robert Beal Jr. And, and this guy is really intriguing because he's one of the best athletes in the entire draft. 247 pounds and a 44740. And so the 49ers have their GTFO metric. Uh, which you know, I'm probably not going to try to curse on on the show, but it's essentially a, a, a metric that mimics what Chris Kacerik likes to say or yell on the football field, on the practice field, for guys to get the F off of the line. And the 49ers, you know, the, the one hallmark of this draft, and you could tell when you talked to Adam Peters, John Lynch, anybody, was that uh, th- they really felt that they had good synergy between the coaching staff and the scouting department. And this is something that the 49ers have striven for every single season since Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch took over that they they feel they're going to be more efficient drafting more efficient picking up players if the coaching staff has a good relationship with the scouting department and you know I didn't cover this team in the Harbaugh era map but that's something that I think definitely uh, eroded over time to to put it nicely there wasn't you know, a good dialogue. There wasn't a good relationship, obviously, between Harbaugh and Trent Balky, and and I think that was emblematic of the fact that the coaching staff probably, um, you know, wasn't on on the same page as as a lot of the front office. So that's something that the 49ers have striven to change ever since Harbaugh, uh, ever since uh, uh, Shanahan and Lynch 
joined in 2017 and they even have now like they're developing metrics the r&d department is developing metrics to quantify what the coaching staff wants so that the scouting department can go out and find those types of players and one such metric is called the gtfo metric which is specifically designed to go find players that chris kasarek would want and it measures get off speed you know you could you could have a 40 yard dash you could have a 10 yard split but none of that stuff is specific enough to truly give you the measurement of what chris kasarek's really going to like and he loves the first two yards so the gtfo metric is based on reaction time and it's based on burst athleticism the first two yards off the line of scrimmage who can roar off that line of scrimmage the fastest and the 49ers ranked all of the edge rusher prospects this year in the GTFO metric, and Robert Beal Jr. was number one. Now, the problem is that uh, he didn't produce all too much at Georgia, but he's he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. I, I mentioned the, the athleticism with the 40 time and obviously the GTFO metric, which, which topped the entire draft class. The 49ers truly believe that if you plug this guy into Chris Kacarek's system, he could develop him and he could use him correctly, first and foremost, to be able to produce for them, especially if Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead are eating up attention on the other side. And, it, you know, Matt, it's not even that much of a gamble because they used a late fifth-round pick on him. Yeah, I mean, to me, this was their uh, their one big swing uh, guy because, uh, you know, it's either going to be a home run or a strikeout. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's a lot of in-between here. And um, yeah, you can you can see it happening both ways. Uh, just the the way that you described. I mean, this team really really uh, uh, bent over backwards to bring in D Ford uh, back in 2019. Uh, gave up a lot to get him. Paid him a lot of money. Um, you know as well as anybody, David, because you're you're so good with the uh, salary cap stuff. There. <laughs> They're still paying for that that transaction this year, uh, and they're paying a lot. Um, but that that kind of just shows you the value that somebody who does have that GTFO ability has for Chris Kosarek in that line, and they want to basically stretch out the opposing offensive line as much as possible, put put as much stress on it as possible. And, and the 49ers really haven't had that person. They thought they were getting that with Samson Ebucom. Um, and Samson Ebucom did well, but not, I don't think, to the level that the 49ers would like. And uh, that's that was the missing element going into this draft. Uh, despite all the work that they did you know, last year with Drake Jackson in the second round and bringing in Farrell and Austin Bryant, they still didn't have that guy that just bursts off the line of scrimmage. And they, they think that uh, Robert Beal might be that guy. Uh, and in his defense, his low production numbers, um, he does, you know, he played outside linebacker at Georgia, which is twofold. One is that Georgia had basically an, an NFL team's talent uh, times three uh, along the defense. So there were other guys getting rotated in. So Beal didn't play every snap, not even close. Uh, and then sometimes he's dropping into coverage. So he's not going to get any uh, pass rush stats uh, on, on those plays. So that, that may account a little bit for the modest stats. I mean, if he was a first-round talent, um, you know, 
or if he was, had been a starter and sort of proven himself to be an every down player at Georgia, he would have been a first round draft pick. Um, so you, 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 they got him in the fifth. They think they can develop him. Like I said earlier, I think he seems more like a 2024 guy than a 2023 guy. And that's okay because, uh, like I said, uh, the 49ers do have Bryant and uh, Farrell in there this season. They're not here next year. A lot of guys are gone next year, too. Um, Javon Kinlaw is uh, playing in his uh, contract year. Uh, Kevin Givens, talk about a, a GTFO guy. Uh, he's playing in his contract year. T.Y. McGill, a couple of other guys. So this is going to be a, a, another case where the 49ers have to regenerate year after year along that line. And I think that Beal will be part of that regeneration. Let's talk about another potential regeneration. Uh, the 49ers made, and this this relates to, to Robert Beal Jr. because it's the same position. I, you know, it, to me, it's still really interesting timing with the Christian McCaffrey restructure. They freed up eight point six million dollars of salary cap space that uh, they didn't need to sign this draft class. This draft class is very inexpensive because they didn't have any truly top tier picks. They freed that money up on day two of the draft, the eight point six million. So now they're sitting at about ten or eleven million dollars for this two thousand and twenty three season. And it just so happened that that essentially coincided with the time of the year, the draft today, May 2nd, um, is when you could sign a veteran free agent and that veteran free agent no longer counts against the compensatory formula. So the 49ers take their comp picks very seriously. They're currently in line to get four again, the max, next year. But if if they sign a, a, a veteran who, who's commanding at least a few million dollars or just a couple million dollars, it, it would probably cancel out one of those comp picks. Anybody that you sign from this point forward, Matt, does not count against the comp formula. So that's an advantage, and it's one that I think the 49ers would, would take really seriously. Anyway, there's still a lot of quality edge rushers on the veteran free agent market. For whatever reason, big names like Yannick Ngonkwe have held off. Robert Quinn is still on the market. Jadavian Clowney is still there. An older player like Justin Houston is still available. Just considering the fact that the 49ers did free up this money at a time when they didn't really need to free it up for the draft class and the fact that they don't burn a comp pick now if they sign somebody, do you think the 49ers might be interested in one of these veteran edge rushers? Well, I mean, we've been talking about Ngankwe for <laughs> two or three months now because he really does kind of fit what we've just been talking about. You know, a guy that creates room for everybody, can run that arc really well, gets off the snap really well, isn't a well-rounded defensive end, but does one thing really well, and that one thing happens to be the thing that Chris Kosarek wants the most. I mean, I think the 49ers drafted Robert Beal, hoping that he'd become something like Yannick Ngakwe. So yeah, I can see that. They do seem to have a lot of bodies uh, along the, the D-line now, whereas they didn't draft an offensive tackle much to the dismay of the fan base. And even with this kind of uh, really interesting undrafted class that they brought in, they got a guy from Shepherd University, a Division II school named Joey Fisher, who a lot of people thought would be drafted. Dane Brugler thought that he would be a fifth or a sixth round pick. And even him, Fisher, who played right tackle at Shepherd, probably figures to be a guard or a center with the 49ers. Uh, my point being, no offensive tackles, even with the uh, the nine draft picks and the 11 
um, uh, undrafted picks. So, so they brought they're bringing in twenty new players, none of whom is a um, is an offensive tackle. So that seems to be still the the bigger position of need. And there are a couple of guys, uh, Isaiah Wynn, for example, uh, jumps out, a, a veteran who's played a lot of tackles. So um, I don't know when these guys are going to get signed. It may be, you know, a lot of times teams like to go through the the offseason um, and uh, basically to see what they have uh, at those positions and then make a, a judgment before training camp begins. You know what? I, I felt like we're, I feel like we're going to be a little bit weak at DN or I feel like we need to bring in one offensive tackle. Um, obviously, the risk is that some other team will will beat you to the punch at that point and sign the guy that you were eyeing but uh that that seems like a reasonable scenario to me that lynch will take this newfound salary cap spa- space um sort of bide his time and that the personnel staff will and the coaching staff will make a determination about where something needs to be added um at some point yeah well the the right tackle situation is really interesting obviously uh, colton mckivitz is the favorite to start as things stand right now I thought that Kyle Shanahan's quote uh, might have been telling about where the 49ers stand right now. And as you said, stuff can change over the course of the offseason. But he compared Colton McKivitz and, and that situation at right tackle to Jake Brendel and center last year. Remember, this time last year, Alex Mack was on his way to retirement and the 49ers were taking a lot of criticism for not A, signing a center as a replacement or B drafting one the whole time they believed that Jake Brendel who had yet to to start in the NFL for an extended stretch of time they believed that Jake Brendel was going to be ready for the job and the 49ers ended up being right Jake Brendel was ready for the job was a Pro Bowl alternate this past year uh, ended up uh, signing a a contract extension with the 49ers this offseason so Shanahan literally said, you know, we see Colton McKivitz the way that we saw Jake Brendel last season. They they believe that McKivitz, who hasn't had much of a chance to start, especially a tackle, they believe that he's ready for the job at right tackle. Might that opinion change as they see some of the offseason? Possibly. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned Isaiah Wynn, uh, and I looked at some of the, the free agent the tackles. The, the pickings are, are fairly slim. Billy Turner's still out there. He's a guy that I thought the 49ers might bring in for depth this offseason, played for the Packers before, similar system. Instead, they brought in Matt Pryor, who, who's now the swing tackle, so it looks like that's been their choice there. Obviously, they didn't have the draft capital to go out and get a, a plug-and-play offensive tackle. Usually you have to pick in the first, at latest, the second round to be able to do that. Anybody that they would have brought in would have probably been a little bit of a developmental guy. And that's including Blake Freeland, who we said, okay, his profile is a lot like Mike McGlinchey's. He's tall, he's really athletic, but he's going to have to develop a little bit of an anchor and pass protection. And they said, you know, it's not worth it to go uh, use a draft pick on a developmental player right now. The roster is too loaded. So they waited to see if somebody like Joey Fisher, you mentioned Joey Fisher would be available uh, into undrafted free agency, and he was. And they rewarded him with a $130,000 guarantee, which is really big for an undrafted free agent. And listen to this. Joey Fisher has put up 40 bench press reps at 225. It was the most of any offensive lineman this year. He wasn't invited to the combine, but that 40 reps is still 40 reps. And they measured him at 49 in the 40 at his pro day, which would have been one of the top numbers of any O-lineman this year. As you said, the concern with Joey Fisher is that his arms are 30, 32 inches long, which is a little bit short 
uh, for tackle. And because he watches film, he ragdolls people in, in D2. Uh, that's probably why he fell out of the draft because he was playing a D2. But um, the the arm length has scouts saying interior lineman, right? He played right tackle at Shepard. Uh, but that you know that does mark their investment in the in the O line. That way they they sign Il Manning out of Hawaii, another really quick lineman, and then they sign yeah. Corey Luciano, a center. But it seems that that these guys are more interior guys. I would say though that Joey Fisher has such an impressive athletic profile that that maybe he he and and has the background playing right tackle that maybe the 49ers could could look at expandability to the outside for him. He did the 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 forty bench press reps with a broken hand. <laughs> <laughs> just to put a put an asterisk on that and and that the broken hand is um is interesting I, I feel like that's how he got to the 49ers because he played in the NFL PA game and was kicking ass there uh that's one of the early college all-star games and, and was doing so well there that he got an invitation to the senior bowl um and that's a big deal for somebody from Shepard and, um, you know, he plays in the Senior Bowl. Then all of a sudden, these NFL scouts see him going up against um, Byron Young, uh, two Byron Youngs, the Byron Young from Alabama and the Byron Young from Tennessee going up against Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. It would have um, assuaged the NFL concern about Joey Fisher playing a lot of D2 talent. They would have seen him going up against not just D1 talent, but elite uh, talent there. Um, But he ends up breaking his hand. um, I think it was the second play of the NFLPA game. And so he goes to to Alabama to play in uh, the Senior Bowl, but he can't practice and he can't play in the game. So uh, I think that if he had been able to do that all week, it stands to reason that uh, he would have kind of proven his, his stuff and like I said checked off one of those boxes one of those concerns that teams had and he would have been drafted and the 49ers either would have had to draft him or likely uh, another team would have so um, you know yeah it, he he got to the 49ers day this guy there was a lot of competition for him he had a lot of pre-draft visits which sort of uh, underscores um, you know uh, uh, somebody that uh Teams think can play in the NFL, et cetera. So he's he's definitely going to factor in. Um, but I agree with you; it's probably going to be at uh, at guard or center. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they they approach that. The the undrafted free agent class, when you look at some of these other guys, is is fascinating. Fisher's been getting a lot of hype. Then there's Jack Coletto out of Oregon State. I know you've been talking about him. Uh, your your undrafted free agent rankings, which is a must read every year, it's up on the Athletic. Actually, has Jack Coletto as as number one. I mean, this is a guy. What is it? Six positions if you count special teams. Came into Oregon State as a quarterback. Ended up as a short yardage runner, a fullback, H-back, uh, what what else? Linebacker. He played defense, too. I mean, this guy, you know, the fear is that he's a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. But, again, they didn't invest a whole lot in him. He's an undrafted free agent. And the fact that he could do so many things and be a thorn in other teams' sides at the college level suggests he might be able to pick up one thing in particular for the NFL level. Maybe even, you know, that fullback position uh, behind Kyle Juszczyk. And that's an important role, especially if, you know, we talked about them uh, drafting two tight ends. Ross Dwelly is the 49ers backup fullback or has been, was last year. 
Um, if Ross Dwelly gets pushed out of this roster equation by the two tight ends, Braden Willis and, and Cam Lawtu, the 49ers are going to need somebody that can fill in behind Juszczyk because he might miss a game or two during the course of the regular season. And, you know, maybe that is Jack Coletto. They call him the Jackhammer out of Oregon State. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I, I don't think that his guarantee was quite uh, Joey Fisher's. I think it was 100000 which is still a huge guarantee. Uh, but there was a lot of fight for him. Uh, there were a lot of teams trying to sign him uh, afterwards. And, and sort of the range of roles that was being pitched to him, um, Sean Payton, uh, you, know, he, you know that he, he just loves Taysom Hill from his New Orleans days. And he was saying that uh, uh, Jack Coletto could be the, the new Taysom Hill in, in Denver. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks love Nick Ballore. Nick Ballore was a fullback linebacker uh, for them, but really a special teams ace. They thought that Jack Coletto could be their Nick Ballore. I mean, we're talking about big ranges of, of guys that teams envisioned uh, Coletto being. And I, I got to wonder whether the 49ers, and I don't know this for sure, but this is my hunch, is that the 49ers saw Jack Coletto as their uh, their next uh, Kyle Juszczyk. And, and no one knows when that's going to be, but Juszczyk is so vital to them, so important to that offense. Remember that first free agency class, they paid a mint to get uh, Kyle Juszczyk, and everybody's eyebrows were raised back then. Why are they paying this amount of money for he, the guy's a fullback? Um, and, of course, we saw very quickly why they valued him that high and that he's been worth every penny since then. But it just kind of goes to show that uh, that that type of guy needs to be in this offense, and the 49ers think that uh, Coletto could be that guy. And certainly he can do tons of other things um, in the meantime. Uh, play special teams, be that Nick, Nick Ballore. Come in. I mean, if, if there was one shortcoming that Brock Purdy had when he took over for Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo was great at the sneaks. 225-pound guy, just kind of, burrow in there and uses a uh, big lower body to, to to burrow in for that yard, yard and a half that he needed. Brock Purdy wasn't quite as good at that. Maybe you take Brock Purdy off the field and you put Jack Coletto in there. And uh, you don't really know whether he's going to you know go for the run, probably, but he can also pass. He started out as a quarterback at Oregon State. Um, bottom line, you can see if he's, if he's up on game days, which he would be if he's a special teams ace, you can see Kyle Shanahan using him uh, in a very creative way until the point where he does take over a more kind of meaty um, every down or, or every other down role on this team. Man, there are so many new players that we haven't even talked about the top draft pick for the 49ers yet, Jair Brown, uh, the, the safety out of Penn State. So. Perhaps we should uh, wrap up with him. I also, you know, and we could talk about Jair Brown in the same breath as we talk about D. Winters, who was the 49ers' sixth round pick out of TCU, a linebacker, but but a lighter linebacker. He's in the two twenties, and he, I mean, really, really fast, four four speed. Actually, 
uh, faster 40 time than Jair Brown, who, who probably dropped down to the lower third round because of a 4-6-40. That being said, Penn State has said that, that they had him at, at over 21 miles an hour with the GPS tracker. So he obviously plays faster than that 40. But, but anyway, a, a couple of defenders who are physical, who like to play near the line of scrimmage. And Jair Brown doesn't have to play near the line of scrimmage, by the way. He had 10 interceptions at Penn State. I think the reason that the 49ers were really sold on him was his safety interchangeability, meaning he could be either a box safety or he could be a single high guy. Uh, Safety interchangeability has been really important to the 49ers. We've seen them essentially blur the line right between free and strong safety and that for schematic purposes is is really really valuable because Steve Wilkes who is more of a DB guy anyway he's going to be able to disguise coverages and do all that but they love Jair Brown's ability to play in the box they love D Winters the sixth round linebacker's pick uh, ability to uh, blitz he had seven and a half sacks for TCU last year with that burst at the line of scrimmage. And and obviously, you know, they're not looking for a starting linebacker right now, but the burst from D. Winters does imply that he can deliver on special teams as well. And, you know, that's a commonality amongst essentially all of these uh, picks is that they can deliver right away on special teams, even Jake Moody, because Jake Moody's a kicker. I mean, that is the epitome of special teams, right? But with with Winters and with Jair Brown, the top pick, Matt, um, you add, I think you add tangible football skill sets to, to the back seven, right? Winters is a linebacker and Jair Brown is a safety. Yeah, I mean, going into the season, uh, you got to think that Oren Burks is the front runner to be that that third linebacker. Um, but he's only signed for this season. And frankly, I think the 49ers would love more speed at that strong side sp- spot. That's the uh, Aziz spot. And uh, Aziz Alshair is, is probably very similar in size to D. Winters and, and Jalen Graham. Jalen Graham was the last pick. I think that the 49ers had Graham and D. Winters um, rated very, very uh, closely. Um, and uh, I think they, they did the smart thing. They saw D. Winters 40 time and they saw Jalen Graham's 40 time and they figured, okay, if one of these guys is going to get uh, snatched up early, it's going to be D. Winters. So they took him first and they took Jalen Graham next. But I think, like I said, um, you know, it's it's sort of a toss-up between them. And then um, you throw Marcelino McCrary Ball into the mix, and you've got three really good, really um, fast, fluid linebackers vying for that spot. So I, I think the 49ers feel very good about their, their linebacking core. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they felt very highly uh, about Aziz. They, they would have loved to have kept him. Um, they just couldn't. They just had too many good linebackers, and you can't pay you – know, probably most teams can't pay two. The 49ers couldn't pay three, certainly. Um, sort of the, the, the big uh, uh, question mark with uh, Aziz was that everybody in the, in the league thought that he was going to Houston to, re, uh, to join uh, uh, D'Amico Ryans over there, and he ends up going to Tennessee instead. Um, that's neither here nor there, but uh, the, the people are still talking about, about that behind the scenes. Um, and as far as uh, Jair Brown, I mean, um, you, you talked about his, uh, his versatility as a safety. I think his personality also really appealed to the 49ers. He was the guy 
for Penn State in that secondary. Um, a great guy in the locker room, a great guy at practice. You read about him and you're reminded of Fred Warner. I mean, Fred Warner is is talking, is cheering, is cajoling, is getting people pumped up all the time. It's not just on game days. It's during practices. It's during halftime. It's all the time. And I think Brown has a similar uh, demeanor, a similar personality. And uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be a really, really nice marriage between him and Fred Warner in that locker room. A lot to talk about in this draft class. And, you know, one more that I should probably mention because I think he has a chance of becoming something for the 49ers. When, when you look at his tape, it, it, it is impressive. It's Deshaun Jameson, the undrafted free agent DB out of Texas. Uh, probably a nickel at the next level. He's 5'9 or 5'10. But just like Darrell Luter Jr., really physical, gets up in people's faces. And, you know, Diometer Lenore also has that quality, right? He calls himself the hyena. And, and he just loves to annoy people at the line of scrimmage. It seems that the 49ers are really, really emphasizing that type of skill set amongst their their defensive backs. And Deshaun Jamison, he's sticky. He has it. Plus, he's got punt return capability as well. So look out for him. Undrafted free agent could give the 49ers another option at that cornerback position. Uh, and, oh, uh, two running backs, too. Uh, Kalon LeBourne and, and Ronald Awat. They both have gotten, um, I think, a lot of press here after the 49ers signed them, especially LeBourne out of Marshall, over 1,500 yards last year, runs low to the ground. Awad is a, is a little bit taller, um, so he's going to be more of a slasher. Uh, LeBourne, I think you wrote in your, in your piece, Matt, uh, his running style might be a little bit more uh, evocative of Frank Gore's, you know, 5'9", low to the ground, follows his blockers. Both good complementary skill sets to have in that backfield. Yeah, LeBourne, uh, 1,500 yards, 16 TDs last year. So those numbers are, uh, are impressive uh, at any school. And, and he did that against some, some good competition too, including uh, Notre Dame. Had one of his best games against Notre Dame in Notre Dame. That was a big win for Marshall. I remember watching that. You know, there's, there seems to be more and more parity in, in college football amongst, the, you know, the the middle-class teams. You have Georgia and Alabama. Those guys are running away from everybody else. But then, you know, you go teams 10 through 100 uh, seem to be more closely bunched than ever before. You do see a lot. You see your marshals coming in and, and, and winning some of these games. And, you know, you, you can no longer say, oh, Kalan LeBourne went to Marshall. Uh, it was just poor competition because he was doing stuff against good recruits at, at, at Notre Dame. So going to be fascinating uh, to see how this 49ers draft class pans out. We'll talk about everybody at, you know, more over the course of the season, especially once we see them practicing. Um, but this show, I think we've already gone an hour. So it's been, uh, that's, that's indicative of, of just how many new players we have to discuss right now. Anyway, uh, for Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time on Here's the Catch. Rookies report May 11th. OTA start uh, yeah, about 10 days after that. So we'll finally get to see all these guys on the field. Should be really, really exciting. We'll talk to everybody next time.